2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Oftentimes when one goes into battle, we expect um, the enemy to attack us from the front and we prepare our defenses accordingly, um, trying to create a barrier, if you will, so that the enemy cannot get to us. But as in life, as in battle, um, there's an old saying that you plan for war, and then once you go to war, you throw the plan out the window, because the enemy tends to attack from all different directions in all different ways that you weren't expecting. Um, in the current war in Ukraine, Russia was using high-tech weapons, and then Ukraine got high-tech defenses. And so now, Russia has resulted or, or fallen back to World War I and World War II technology weapons to evade the modern technology. Dropping an 1,100-pound bomb because it only takes about a minute from it to go to the air, to the target. And even the modern targeting systems that Ukraine now has can't stop this new attack. And, and that's the way it is in life. We, we have these ideas of the way in which the enemy is going to attack us. And then when we get into life, when we get into the battle, we're often hit in ways that we weren't expecting. And so this morning... Paul is going to be concluding our text in 2 Thessalonians, and he's going to ask this church to do something very interesting for him and his church planting team. Let's read it together. It's just five verses. I think we can read this together as a church. Starting in verse five, or excuse me, verse one. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, um, we're going to mix it up a little bit. I only got two points. I dug and dug and dug and couldn't find three. Only, only two points this morning. Not going to be a good Baptist pastor, but point one Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Point two, we're going to see Paul's confidence in God. So let's start with point one, praying for your leaders. Paul begins our section of scripture by requesting something of the Thessalonians. Paul knows that in all good relationships, uh, good relationships are two-way relationships. It is not a good and healthy relationship if it is only a one-way relationship. And, and so Paul is asking <clears throat> for something of the church here in Thessalonica. And notice that 
though Paul is, um, he's not just asking for prayer for himself, right? This, Paul isn't just saying, hey, pray for me. Instead, he asks the church plant to pray for him and the whole church planting team that has come with him. The, the, the people that he is traveling with, the ministry partners that he has, that are fulfilling different roles in the ministry. Paul is asking this church to pray for all of them. And it's important for us to remember this today. To pray for your leaders within the church. Pray for your elders. Pray for your small group leaders because the enemy would like nothing more than to create division and disunity amongst the leaders. As a matter of fact, this is often his tactic. He, he will attack and create damaged relationships. And, and the enemy has won so many battles by simply taking out the leadership. Why attack a hundred when you can attack one or two and shipwreck a whole church. This is why Paul is asking for prayer. Before planting this church many years ago, I worked for the Baptist Association, which was a, a network of, at that time, about 32 churches in this area. And I, in, in my five years working for them, I watched this happen time and time again. That the enemy would take out the pastor, causing all of this confusion, calling all, causing all these people within that church to question their faith. Can I believe anything he said? Can I trust anything that he preached? And many left the faith and left the church because of the defection, the attack, the fall of one person. Paul knows that if he were to fail, think about that. The person who wrote the majority of the New Testament. If he failed in his mission, what kind of havoc that could cause to every one of the churches that he had planted. If they now all of a sudden begin to question everything that Paul said. Do you see the desperate need to pray for your leaders. Paul did. And for that matter, why attack 12 or 15 people when we can just attack one or two people and take out an entire small group? This, this isn't just about me and Jamie. This is, this is also about the small group leaders that are shepherding and caring for the souls within the body. If, if, if he can go after one or two and take them off the board, then that takes 12 or 15 off the board. This is why it's so important to pray for your leaders. But Paul doesn't just stop with asking for prayer in general, right? Sometimes you, you've, you've met those people. They never tell you what to pray for, but they always just say, pray for me, right? right. But Paul goes on, and he, he gives us two examples of specifically what they can be praying for him. First, he prays that the gospel message 
will run freely like it did with them. Right? The, the gospel hit the ground running in this church. He had a short window of time with them, and yet the gospel just took off. So much so that this church was planted, that leaders were raised up, and even now as they've come back to visit this church, they are still thriving, even in the midst of persecution. There, there is a church here who is proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So much so that it's going out to everywhere around. All the people around this area are talking about them. Talk about the gospel running freely. Right? They, they knew what that looked like because that's the way they were living as a church. And Paul is saying, look, we, we want this, this gospel, the, the word of God running as in a, a race all across the Mediterranean world. We want it to get to the outermost edges of the known world. We want to see everyone hear the good news of the gospel. To pray that that will run in a way that is unhindered. I'm going to tell you, I was so encouraged this week. I only got to go two of the five nights out to Hamilton CI. And for those of you who uh, may not have been paying attention during the announcements, starting, well, really starting Friday night, but starting Wednesday, will be the first service of a new church plant that we as a body are sponsoring called King's Highway. And Pastor Gary and Pastor Tony are the pastors that have been trained by New Orleans Baptist uh, seminary, they have gone for, is it three or four years? Four years to get their theological education. And then they commit to being placed in a prison to be what the prison calls field ministers, but they are the, the pastors and elders of that church. They are a complete, this isn't a ministry of church on the way. This is a completely autonomous church functioning within the walls of a prison. Now, Hamilton CI is a relatively small facility, about 300 inmates there. And Friday night, we had about 75 of them in church. Now, I, Jamie was welcoming people. I walked over to look at their library to see what kind of resources and, and to talk to the guys in there to find out what we could do to help them have better resources. You know me, I love books, right? So I'll gravitate toward the books. And, and I'm talking to those guys, and all of a sudden, the inmates come busting in. And I do mean busting in. I mean, like, they, they were running into the library. And do you know what their question was? Where can I find a Bible? I didn't know this. Jamie didn't know this, but... The bus had just come in that day. There were guys who just got processed that one of the first experiences they had at Hamilton CI was coming to church. And one of the first things they were asking for to take back with them to their room was a Bible. Guys, it, it's, it's been encouraging for me to see the gospel running 
unhindered in these prisons. It's encouraging to me that afterwards, and listen, the warden came to the church service on a Friday night. And it was encouraging to me to hear the warden tell me a story about the church that we're sponsoring at RMC and how word had got back to him through that chain of command about how those pastors were able to take shifts sitting by inmates who were dying, reading scripture and praying to them. Some of which who weren't even believers. But yet God allowed them to be there to share the gospel with them right up until the end. And here's, here's this warden telling me a story he's heard about. Another. I don't even think he had connected the fact that we had sponsored both churches at the time. But do you know how encouraging that is to me? To, to hear and to see that, that on a given week, 100 to 150 prisoners are hearing the gospel faithfully preached by trained, qualified men. Man, that's encouraging. It's, it's encouraging to see the gospel running freely in an area where you wouldn't think it could run free. And me and Jamie, we, you know, we get in our car, we check out, we go home. But those field ministers, they're there right now ministering, discipling those men. I, I hope you will join me in praying for these churches that God will continue, one, to plant more. The, 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 the chaplain that's kind of over this region has a goal of planting a church in every single prison in this region. Pray that God will send other sponsors, because we, we can't do it all, you know. But, but pray that God will send other partners. Pray that God will send other churches that will receive these brothers in Christ who have been discipled as brothers. Right? One of the hard things about going to prison and then coming out of prison is the stigma that is attached to being a felon. And so pray that there will be churches that will accept them and welcome them in and continue that process of discipleship and grow them. But listen, also pray for those guards. <laughs> them guards have to sit there and listen to those services. I mean, I, I'm, I'm praying for the day that a guard walks in and says, hey, I came to Christ because of this church called King's Highway in Hamilton Correctional Institution. And it was my job to sit back there and guard them. But I heard the gospel faithfully preached. I watched these men's lives transform. And I, I want that. I want that for my life. There's so many ways in which the gospel can run unhindered, even in prison, guys. How much more can it do outside those prison walls? We need to pray that, like Paul, that, and, and ask you to pray and join with us that the gospel will continue to run unhindered through the life and the ministry of our church. Second, Paul asks that he be delivered from evil and eccentric people. Second, Paul prays that he will be delivered from evil and eccentric people. 
It seems there were uh, some people that created kind of a, an interference that kept the word from running unhindered. And you see the devil uses all kinds to hinder God's work. Again, most of us would think about those who are obviously evil, those who are intentionally evil, attacking the work of the church. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of those kinds of people out there, but the thing about them is they're pretty easy to spot. It's pretty easy to identify who those people are. But Paul has in mind another type of person that is not as obvious, that, that is a little harder to distinguish sometimes. It, it's those who want to take up time and energy with their crazy ideas. Those that create problems for themselves where there is no problem. And with Paul, like Paul, we, we ask that you all pray for us and your leaders to be delivered from both kinds of people. The, the second kind are the ones that, that kind of come out of left field, who are they're just, they're just always troubled with some unusual or, or weird issue where, again, there should be no trouble at all. And the reality is they can waste so much of your time if you allow them to. And it's easy for a pastor or an elder to feel like, oh, well, I'm ministering and I'm doing all these things, but really what I'm doing is spinning my wheels because they have no desire to move forward or go anywhere. And it's easy for a pastor to then get discouraged and stop feeding the rest of the flock because they're discouraged by the amount of time and energy they poured into one person that is not, doesn't have a desire to move forward. The reason Paul says to avoid these people is because they don't have faith. And sometimes those who are eccentric seem only to be unusual, yet many of them develop their eccentric ways as a result of not knowing Christ in the first place. And this is why consistent Bible preaching and teaching is so important for the church. Regular doses of the word should help to level one out. Now keep in mind, teaching of the word, it shouldn't hinder our uniqueness. It's, the, the word is not here to make us all look alike and for us to lose our individuality. That's not what I'm saying. But as you hear the word and you get it in regular doses, it should keep us from these excesses of the faith. The, the eccentric theologies, the eccentric ideas that tend to waste a lot of time and get us nowhere. And we must be careful of anyone claiming to be a Christian that is way far out in their ideas and their theology. Chances are they don't really have faith to begin with, Paul says. At best, maybe they're new Christians and just yet haven't been grounded in the word yet. 
the individual attitudes and ideas that we all have as Christians must always be within the broad parameters of what is genuinely Christian. And listen, within the bound of the Bible, there is plenty of room for individuality. Again, this, is, this isn't about making a bunch of robots that all look the same, act the same, talk the same. That, that's not what this is talking about. There is plenty of room for disagreements, what we call open-handed issues that we, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll you know, even maybe debate with you a little bit, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ at the end of the day. When we come across someone that's eccentric in their beliefs, we must always be in the back of our mind questioning, do they even have faith in God? Again, they may be a new believer, so this isn't a guarantee, but it should at least be a thought in our mind. And as a, a thought in our mind, it should come through that we continue, continue to share the gospel with them and not just assume that they are a believer because they say they are a believer. You see, in, in, that's what Paul is saying there at the end of verse 2. And the word that's translated evil there, it literally means something that is out of place or odd. It speaks to those who hinder in strange ways. The word is translated a couple of different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's been translated as amiss or harmful. But it's also translated, in some cases, as unreasonable. You ever, you ever dealt with an unreasonable person? It can feel like being afflicted by the evil one, right? <laughs> that, that, that's what Paul's getting at here. There, there's other words he could have used for pure evil, but the word he picked here, it, it has this kind of something that's odd and out of place with it. The unreasonable person that, again, you, you talk to, you share the gospel with, you share theology with, and they just come back to you with the same query and the same problem the next time you see them. They're unreasonable. It can be very draining. The good news, Paul says in verse 3, is those of us who are afflicted by unreasonable people <laughs> or the evil ones, they're also supported by the Holy One. Because the reality is, if we're, if we're going to be in this world, we're going to have to deal with unreasonable people. That, that is a part of it. You, you can't just run and hide from them. Okay? But Paul reminds us that we are supported by the Holy One, even when we are dealing with the unreasonable ones. He is the one that guards us. He is the one that keeps us from falling. It's the Lord himself that makes one stable and firm. We only minister the word through, um, the, as pastors, we're, we're ministering the words. As small group leaders, we're ministering the word. And, and, and that's, that's all we can do. 
We, we can't bring about one becoming stable and firm in their faith. That, that's outside of our realm of responsibility, Paul says. And this is the second point, Paul's confidence in God and not in himself. You see, where we get in trouble is we start thinking it's up to us. And when that unreasonable person doesn't become reasonable, we get frustrated and quit. And Paul is saying your confidence shouldn't be in yourself, but it should be in the one who can actually make the unreasonable reasonable. The one that can transform and change a life through the power of the gospel. Now, we, we can preach the word, we can teach the word, but at the end of the day, he has to be the one responsible for bringing them to faith. There's nothing we can do to make any of us stable or firm, but thankfully God promises he will. Now, if a Christian doesn't believe this, They're calling God a liar. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be in the position to be consistently calling God a liar. We must be careful not to doubt his word. This promise on God's or depends on God's faithfulness, not our own. We are to be consistent. We are to be following and doing exactly what he's called us to do and leaving the results to him. Putting our confidence in him, not in ourselves. Because when we do, we're going to get frustrated. We're, we're going to get angry. We're going to get upset. And that's when the evil one rejoices. Because he knows, I just took another piece off the board. And if that person is an elder, pastor, small group leader, I've just taken a whole group off the board. I've just taken a whole church off the board. We must remind ourselves of, this, of, the, of the truths of these verses regularly. Notice how Paul is confident that the Thessalonians were following his instructions. Listen to what he says here in verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. My, my confidence isn't in you. My confidence is in the Lord about you. Well, what, what does that mean? That you are doing and will do the things that we command. Let me ask you a question. Could I say that about you this morning? that you are doing and will do the things that are commanded in his word? Paul can confidently say that. When you look at your own life, when you look at all the things I can't see, would I be able to confidently say that? All right. Paul ends our passage this morning by expressing a kind of a prayer wish in verse 5. Paul wants God to direct not only our, 
our feet, but our hearts into God's love and into God's patience. Paul wants love and patience to become a change in our hearts. This is, this is an inward reality that Paul is asking for. And notice the combination, because I, I find it interesting. Steadfastness or endurance or patience in the face of a trial does not have to harden us. See, so many times that's what happens to us. As we find ourselves in a trial, we find ourselves with an unreasonable person, we find ourselves wrestling with the evil one in whatever form that is, and it hardens us. We, we just say, you know what, I'm not going to love anybody else anymore. I'm not going to let anybody else in. I'll keep preaching the gospel, I'll keep sharing the gospel, but I'm not letting you into my heart. I'm not going to become friends with you. And it hardens us, creates a wall around us, or at least around our hearts. But that, that's what the gospel came to tear down. The, the division between God and man first, but then us and our brothers second. These are the results of the curse that God is reversing in the gospel. In, in the garden, there was a wall thrown up, literally, with a guard <laughs> to keep man from God. And then a chapter later, you got a brother killing a brother. And so the gospel comes, and, it, and it, it transforms us radically by tearing down that wall between us and God, which should then tear down the wall between us and our brother and sister in Christ. How can you say you love God, but not love the brother that is right in front of you? You're a liar. That's the result that has to happen, and that is what Paul is asking for and praying for here. Listen, you're going to have unreasonable people. You're going to have eccentric people. You're going to have flat-out evil people who come and take advantage of you. And, and the temptation that we have is to revert back to what we know, to revert back to what is safe and throw that wall back up. So I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm not really going to let you into my life. I'm really not going to let you know me. I'm really not going to ever confess and repent of my sin to you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep you here because that's safe. Paul, Paul is saying that the exact opposite can happen to those who are believing in the gospel. Instead of it hardening, hardening our hearts, we actually can experience a deeper sense of love. It can deepen our love with God, but it's God's love and Christ's steadfastness, not some human counterfeit of that. It's not something you're manufacturing on your own. It, it's something that, that is God-given. It, it is Christ's endurance. It is his patience that is given to us. God must work his love and patience in our lives. And listen, folks, sometimes he uses unreasonable people to do that. 
because you're unreasonable. Sometimes that's how it has to work. God's got to put you between a rock and an unreasonable person. (laughs) To see, are you going to fall into his love or are you going to retreat? Throw that wall up. This This stuff, listen, is not naturally inside of us. Love and patience is not naturally inside of me. It can only come from him. And it's like the the patience and love of Christ that that he once lived before us. His his example, with, with him as the source, is what every one of us needs this morning. As we come to this time and we celebrate the Lord's table, we're celebrating his patience and endurance. Greater love can, can no man have than he lay his life down for his friends. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. To, to tear down that wall that separated us from God, but also to tear down that wall that keeps us from being human. It is not good for man to live alone, God says. And yet, what do we do? We do the most unhuman thing possible. We throw up walls, guard our hearts, and keep ourselves from our brothers and sisters of Christ. And we don't let them in. Why? Will you hurt me? Okay. The gospel has the power to change that. This morning, we need the Lord to direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. As you come to the table this morning and you partake of the bread and the wine and you remember what has been done for you, you celebrate. This is is a time of celebration, guys. Think about the wall that was torn down, the, the, the veil of the temple that was rent, rent from the top to the bottom so that there is now no longer this weird, awkward, religious separation between us and God. He, he now calls us friends. That, that was done because he loves us. And that, that very love is what Paul is asking this morning that we would direct our hearts toward and to the patience, endurance, steadfastness of Christ. Remember that as you come this morning and partake. And, and maybe there's some things that you need to confess and repent of. Maybe there's some brothers and sisters in this room that you need to walk across the room before you come and take confession and say, hey, I've been, th- I've been throwing up a wall. I- I've been letting my own petty self keep me from being in a relationship with you.
And I need to confess and repent of that and ask you to forgive me. And then come and partake of communion with them. What a glorious picture of the gospel tearing down the wall that separates God and man and man from man. Can't think of a more beautiful picture than that. As we come to the table this morning, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son because you first loved us. Everything we do is a response to your love. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning. And even if it's not now, during communion, I pray that this week, if there are brothers and sisters that have offended us or, or we've taken offense to something and we've added motives to what we think they were thinking or what they think they were doing, and, and God, it, it's keeping us from being in a relationship, Lord, with our brother and sister in Christ, I pray this week we would, we would make that right. So that we can be unified around you and your gospel. And that we would be able to be known as your disciples because of the love that we have for one another. The self-sacrificial love that's portrayed in communion. You giving up your body and your blood for us. Paying the price that we could not pay. Living the life that we could not live. God, thank you. Thank you. For doing what we could never do. As you continue to pray when you're ready, please come and partake of the Lord's Supper with us this morning.